Welcome back to Lasta's channel. My name is Anton Vjeldsen. I'm an attorney in the Southern District of California here in San Diego. Today we're going to decide whether insertion of a car key into a lock on the vehicle's door for the sole purpose of aiding the police in ascertaining the ownership or control of the vehicle constitutes a search under the Fourth Amendment. And before we go on, I want to thank you for watching me on YouTube, hitting that subscribe button, and of course sharing my channel with your friends and family. If you're listening to the podcast version of this recording on Audible or Spotify, please give my podcast a 5-star rating. And finally, if you want to be a real MVP, consider going to lostash.com and check out some of my merch, including the Do Not Arrest This Person t-shirts. And by the way, if you become a member of this channel by clicking the join button somewhere close to that subscribe button on my YouTube channel, you will receive 15% off all the product on my website. Once again, that's lostash.com. Thanks for watching. Let's go on. Quick message from Lostash. Are you charged with a crime? Or do you want to know your rights if stopped by police? Watch California attorney Anton Vjeldsen discuss legal cases from the Supreme Court, Ninth Circuit, and California State Courts on the Lostash YouTube page. Anton has handled hundreds of federal and state criminal cases, has an in-depth knowledge of the law, and has the best mustache ever. Subscribe to the Lostash YouTube page. That's L-A-W-S-T-A-C-H-E. Today we're discussing United States versus Dixon, which is a Ninth Circuit case from the year 2020. Mr. Dixon was being observed by the police as a suspect in a shooting. The officers saw Mr. Dixon go in and out of a certain apartment. He would often drive a BMW and a blue Honda minivan and park those vehicles in the parking lot adjacent to the apartments. Soon officers learned that Mr. Dixon was on federal supervision, which meant that he had a Fourth Amendment waiver. Now officers did not ask his probation officer where Mr. Dixon lived. Instead, they did their own research and they found that Mr. Dixon had multiple addresses registered to his name. If they would have simply asked the probation officer, then the apartment that they were observing would have matched what Mr. Dixon told his probation officer and made the official registration. But again, the officers did not do that. At some point, they made a decision to arrest Mr. Dixon. As he was walking out of the apartments, they tried to detain him. There was no incident. Mr. Dixon dropped his garbage bags and his set of keys next to a blue minivan. Officers detained him, and using the keys, they went to the apartment, opened it up, and found paraphernalia and some amount of drugs. They then used the set of keys, and using one of the key, they opened the door to a blue minivan where they found a bag of marijuana. They then made a decision to take Mr. Dixon to the police substation and on the way there and once he was actually booked they made a search of his person and on him they found 21 baggies of cocaine heroin and methamphetamine later at the district court level there were some discussions about the keys the vehicle and so on of course mr dixon was making an argument that the blue minivan was not even his that he was simply walking past it. At the district court level, 
the court suppressed all the evidence found in the apartment because they said that the officers, their observations did not amount to the fact that he actually resided there. The observations, all it showed that he simply was present at that apartment. And so the Fourth Amendment waiver would not cover that type of search. Now, moving on at the appellate level, Mr. Dixon argues that the search of the vehicle was illegal in violation of his Fourth Amendment rights. And if that's the case, then the subsequent search at the substation would also be illegal because that would be deemed a fruit of the poisonous tree. We all know that anything that follows illegal activity by the police should be suppressed. Mr. Dixon took the case all the way to trial. The jury hung on the question whether he had possession with intent to distribute, and instead he was convicted on a lesser offense of simple possession. So he now again argues that his motion to suppress the evidence found on him, and most importantly, in the vehicle, violated the Fourth Amendment. The Fourth Amendment protects the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures. But individuals subject to a warrantless, suspicionless search condition have severely diminished expectation of privacy by virtue of their status alone. Here, a condition of Dixon's supervision release mandated that he be subject to a search of his person, residence, office, vehicle, or any property under his control at any time with or without suspicion. But this authority is not limitless. And we have explained that to conduct a search of the property pursuant to this condition, the individual subject to it must exhibit a sufficiently strong connection to the property in question to demonstrate control over it. In other words, before the police could search Dixon's blue Honda minivan without a warrant or probable cause, they had to have a sufficient basis to believe he owned or controlled that vehicle. In this case, the police crossed that knowledge threshold only when they inserted the key that Dixon had dropped into the key lock, thereby confirming that he exercised control over the minivan. Given that the district court had already ruled that the search of Dixon's apartment was in violation of his Fourth Amendment rights, the justification to arrest him and the subsequent search at the substation would have been illegal also under the Fourth Amendment. And that would also leave the government without any admissible narcotics for trial. But here we have an additional search, the search of the vehicle parked outside the apartments. When we deal with that search and whether that search gave justification to the officers to arrest Mr. Dixon and take him to the substation and make the subsequent searches, we first have to ask the question whether putting a key in the door of a vehicle is a search in itself. And then the second question is whether that search is reasonable or unreasonable under the Fourth Amendment. When we deal with the Fourth Amendment, we often talk about the case cats and the reasonable expectation of privacy test. This was a case from the Supreme Court where the government was listening to an individual. We developed a test saying that there's an infringement of the Fourth Amendment if the government violates 
the person's reasonable expectation of privacy. But here, the appellate court reminds us that the reasonable expectation of privacy, CATS test, was not a substitution, but an addition to the common law trespassory test, meaning any time that the government trespasses on your property, that would be a violation of the Fourth Amendment rights. Using these principles, the court ruled in the Supreme Court case Jones, which I previously discussed on this channel, that installation of a GPS tracking device on a Jeep from the outside violated the individual's Fourth Amendment rights. The search was when the GPS device was installed. We all know that you do not have a reasonable expectation of privacy in the movement of your vehicle on public roads. But the Jones court said the installation itself, the attachment of the GPS device was a search. And without a warrant, it violated the Fourth Amendment. Using the same principles, here the appellate court says that when the officers put the key in the slot to open the door of the vehicle, that intrusion, that physical act in itself was a search. And that conclusion, by the way, is consistent with other circuits. Post Jones and Jardine's decisions, other circuits similarly held that physical intrusion constitutes a search. For example, the First Circuit in United States versus Bain held that testing a key in an apartment door lock to see if it fit constituted a search under Jardines. In Taylor v. City of Saginaw, a Sixth Circuit case held that City's chalking of tires to determine how long a vehicle has been parked in the same location constituted a search under Jones. In United States v. Richmond, a Fifth Circuit case, there the court held that officer pushing his finger against the defendant's tire to learn what was inside constituted a search under Jones. And finally, in Schmidt v. Stassi, the court held that officer's collection of DNA from the defendant's car door while it was parked was a search under Jones. Having concluded that the officers conducted a Fourth Amendment search, we then have to question whether that search of the vehicle was reasonable or unreasonable under the Fourth Amendment. Only unreasonable searches violate the Fourth Amendment. And also remember, here we're dealing with somebody on federal supervision, meaning that he gave up certain rights as condition of supervision. But before the condition of warrantless searches apply, the officers have to show some sense of the fact that they know that the place to be searched somehow is tied to the person on the supervision. When we talk about houses, the requirement is that officers have to show that there's probable cause to believe that the individual resides at that location. The reason why we have that requirement is because we're trying to protect innocent third parties. Just because an individual who's on supervision enters an apartment that somebody else's doesn't allow the officers to then walk into that apartment 
and search it. Only if they can show that they have probable cause to believe that the person on supervision resides at that location. The court then moves on to the vehicles. Here we're dealing with a search of a vehicle. And the court says that again, we have to show that the officers had probable cause to believe that the vehicle was either owned or controlled by Mr. Dixon. Now the government tries to convince the court to use reasonable suspicion, a lower standard than probable cause. But the court says that again, we have to think about third parties. What if Mr. Dixon would drop his keys next to a vehicle that's not even his? The officers would then have reasonable suspicion that the keys belong to that vehicle and they would be able to search it. But they would not have probable cause to believe that that vehicle would be Mr. Dixon's. And that's exactly what happens in this case. When Mr. Dixon drops his keys, the officers first search the apartment. When they come back, they try to search the blue minivan. But there's one problem. The body cam footage concludes that there's two blue minivans parked next to each other on that particular day. And officers, in fact, try to open the wrong one first until the owner of that van runs out of his apartment and tells the officers and questions them why they're messing with his car. Only then do the officers turn to the other blue van that turned out to be Mr. Dixon's. So the question here is whether officers had any probable cause to believe that that particular van was owned or under control of Mr. Dixon. Now to answer that question, the appellate court sends the case back to the district court to make that factual determination because the lower court never held an evidentiary hearing about that particular question. So what do we know now? Here are the couple takeaways. Takeaway number one, when the officers insert a key into a vehicle's door to determine whether that key works and the vehicle belongs to a particular individual, that in itself is a search under the Fourth Amendment. And if we're dealing with somebody on supervision, the next question, of course, becomes whether that individual owns or controls that vehicle. And before the government can search the vehicle, they have to show that they have probable cause to believe that that vehicle is controlled or owned by the person on supervision. If you enjoyed this video, if you learned something about the Fourth Amendment and the searches, give this video a thumbs up. And if you like this channel, consider subscribing and sharing with your friends and family. If you're listening to the podcast version of this recording on Audible or Spotify, please give my podcast a five-star re-rating. And finally, if you want to support this channel, consider going to lostash.com and check out some of the merch. And by the way, if you become a member of this YouTube channel by clicking the button join and paying a nominal fee, you will receive 15% off off of all of my merch at lostash.com. Thanks for watching.